Oh, man, it has been an awesome time. I have gotten fired up. It's been a great time. I'm so excited. I appreciate everyone so very much for everything that they've done. Uh, is uh, Gary Lukey in here? Gary, is this now? Oh, forget you. Okay. Next hour. But we would like to officially recognize everybody and every, all of our students that have done so much. And so Gary knows them, what they've done better. And so next hour, he will do that. But I just want to say it's been awesome. I appreciate everybody that's made it work. I do want to mention this, that this coat was hanging on the rack out there. And it's an identical coat to a lady who's here this morning. And somebody took her coat and it had her keys in it. And she is stranded. She not only needs her coat, but she needs her keys. So hopefully, if you have a coat that looks like this, and we've been doing some, some investigative work, and we think it's a long, blonde-haired person. Amen. But if you have a coat that looks like this, please check it out and make sure it's not hers. This is the lady that her coat was taken. And so... Uh, Please check that out. Does anybody here recognize this? Do you know somebody else that was wearing a coat like this? But anyway, the keys. Do you think this might be you? Oh, could you check it? See if this is you? It's got my hair. It's got your hair. This is you. Oh, the case is solved. Here you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. And they're hugging each other, isn't that? That's the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I tell you, it is so exciting to see people's lives just changing in front of our eyes. There's people that have been making decisions that you're never going to be the same again. This is going to change the rest of your life and affect other people. And I tell you, this is just the greatest thing to be a part of. We're so excited. This morning, we're really privileged to have Tony Cook come minister to us. Now, Tony is not one of our regular staff, but he ministers here once or twice a year. Tony uh, was the, uh, I don't know what you call it, the director of Rama for how many years? Uh, I was there for 18 and a half. 18 and a half before he graduated. He was a real slow learner. <laughs> but I think about 12 of those years or something, he was the director of Rama Bible College. He's got a great ministry, a powerful minister, and he was in town holding a meeting, and he's one of our guest speakers. We have a lot of guest speakers come through. Uh, Bob Yandian, uh, Happy Caldwell, Dwayne Sheriff, uh, Jeff, uh, Greg Fritz, Arthur Manchez. He's going to be here as a staff next year. He'll be here next month. They're now moving to the States from South Africa. And anyway, we have a lot of great, great ministers. And so this will give you a little taste of some of our guest ministers that come through. And this is uh, Tony and it's Lisa, right? right? Tony and Lisa Cook. They are a blessing from Tulsa. So come up here and share with us. Praise the Lord. Love you, brother. Praise the Lord. Thank you, thank you. Well, I knew that Andrew Walmack was a, uh, a great Bible teacher. I did not know that he was a crime scene detective. That's not listed on the back of any of your books. I think we need to get that added so people understand the full, you know, thing that you do. So, 
It is so good to be here. I think this is my fourth year to come and be with the students at Karis. And uh, every time I've been here, I've just been impressed, not only with the quality of the students, but also with the, the really high caliber of the, the teachers, the faculty, the administration, the vision of what Karis is about. And it is an absolute joy to be with you. I want to share with you as I begin a, a story about a kindergarten teacher. And this kindergarten teacher was watching her classroom of children while they were drawing. And the teacher was walking around from student to student just asking about the pictures and commenting and so on. And, and she came to one little girl who was really, I mean, intense uh, in, in her little crayon drawing. And the teacher said, honey, what are you drawing? And the little girl said, I'm drawing God. And the teacher said, but honey, nobody knows what God looks like. And she said, they will in a minute. <laughs> it's quite an attitude. You know, as cute as that story is, it really uh, speaks of something that is a, a great truth. And that is that our job as believers, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is to not only know God, but to make Him known. To uh, be a, a reflection, to have been changed and transformed by His power, by His nature, by His character, that we can actually make Him known to the world. Uh, you know, I know you've been hearing a lot this week, and, and rightly so, about the plan of God. And the purpose of God. There is nothing more fulfilling in life than to be tracking with God. To know that your steps really are being ordered by Him. And that you're living a life of divine purpose. And yet I want you to know today, and I want you to think about this, because this is true. But God is not the only one that has a plan for your life. We do have an enemy. And He has a plan for our life as well. And his plan is to keep us as disconnected and disengaged from the plan of God as possible. When we have the privilege, and, and what a blessing it is, you know, one thing that we need to always remember is that when we know the blessing of knowing God, when we know what it is to have our sins forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ, when we know what it is to be a, a new creature, to be the righteousness of God in Christ, to know that we are royalty, that we are an heir of God and a, a joint heir with Jesus Christ, we need to be very careful that we never start thinking that we're better than somebody else. See, this thing is not based on superiority. This is not something that I have achieved or I have earned. This is something that we have received based on the, the generosity, the benevolence, the mercy, the kindness of Almighty God. So whatever it is that we receive in life and whatever it is that God is able to accomplish through us... Don't ever make the mistake of start thinking it's because you're really something. Because you're really smart. Because you're really talented. Because you've really worked hard. You know, Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And we need to understand, Paul even said to the Corinthians, he said, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, 
why are you acting like you didn't receive it? We have nothing to be arrogant about. We have nothing to feel superior about. We have nothing to feel like I'm better than somebody else about. We are just, we, we, what we have is the right and the privilege to be thankful. We have the right to be thankful to a God who saw in us value and potential. And even when we were lost, we were separated. You know, when, when we were at our absolute worst, God gave us His absolute best. And, and the only thing that we have to do is just to be thankful and grateful. And I, I say all that because I want to bring up a statement that a, that a man once made. This is not a a biblical statement. You'll understand when you hear it. But a a gentleman by the name of Henry David Thoreau, he was one of the great literary English guys in our history, he made the statement that most men lead lives of quiet desperation and they go to the grave with the song still in them. When I heard that statement, I guess it it, it partly made me mad. I guess it really did make me mad. Because I know that from an observational standpoint, you know there's two types of truth. There's observational truth, and then there's revelation truth. But from an observational standpoint, he's probably right. Most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And they go to the grave with the song still in them. Why is that? Does it need to be that way? No. Did God want it to be that way? No. Can we do something about that? Yes. But when I heard that statement, something rose up on the inside of me, and it was just a defiance. You know, sometimes we need to get mad about the right things. And, and, and the anger that rose up in me, you know, anger's not all bad. The Bible says, be angry and don't sin. Don't sin in your anger. We need to get mad about the fact that, that millions of people go to hell. We need to get mad about the fact that untold uh, millions of people live far below the life that God has for them. But when I heard that statement that most men... Uh, go uh, live lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. Two things rose up on the inside of me. I said, that is not going to be so concerning me. I'm not going to live a life of quiet desperation. I refuse to live a life of quiet desperation. Again, not because I'm better than anybody, but because I know God. Because He revealed Himself. Through His Word, through His Spirit, through Jesus. God's revealed Himself to us and we can know Him if we open up our hearts and lives to know Him. But I said, no, that's not going to be true for me. I'm not going to live a life of quiet desperation. I'm going to live a life of vibrant expectation. Because God has good things for us. God has great plans for us. And, and, and secondly, I'm not going to uh, go to the grave with the song still in me. When I go to the grave, I'm going to, I believe by the grace of God, be able to say like Paul, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. 
The song in my life has been expressed. And not only did I say, no, that's not going to be true for me. I also said, no, that's not going to be true for anyone that I can influence. I'm going to do everything within my power to make sure that nobody that I can possibly influence through my word, through example, through any kind of influence whatsoever, I'm going to make sure that nobody else lives a life of quiet desperation. And I'm going to make sure that nobody else, God helping, that I can influence is going to go to the grave with the song still in them. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. I want to talk about your part in God's plan. I want to talk about what God has ordained for believers in this day and in this age. I'm excited. I wouldn't want to live in any other age. You were born for today. If God had wanted you to live 50 years ago, well, some of us were living 50 years ago. If God had wanted you to be at your current age, 50 years ago, he'd have had you born 50 years earlier. Am I saying that right? You were born for such a time as this. You're in the right place at the right time. We live in the day that the prophets of old longed to understand. The prophets of old, they they weren't omniscient. They didn't know everything. They only knew what God revealed to them And what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 is true today and back then. We know in part and we prophesy in part. We don't know it all. We're not omniscient. But but the prophets of old would look into the future as God would pull back the curtain. And they would see bits and pieces and they longed for the days that we're living in. Look in Acts chapter 2. Acts, the second chapter, the 16th verse. The great day of Pentecost was unfolding. The 120 that had been waiting on God in the upper room had received this wonderful infilling of the Holy Ghost. They went flooding out into the streets of Jerusalem, declaring the works of God. And people who had gathered from all over the known world, Jews who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish feast of Pentecost because of their divinely imparted gift, were now hearing them speak in other tongues. But what we call other tongues were their languages that they understood. And the Galileans, which made up the bulk of the people in the 120... I'm not trying to be mean in any way, shape, or form, but but everybody knew the Galileans, they were the country bumpkins. And now they're declaring the works of God in all these amazing languages. And they're hearing them. And they want to know what's going on. And this is what Peter says. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass... In the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Now, how many times have we heard that? 
We've heard this verse dozens of times to the point that probably for many people, it doesn't mean anything. We just take it for granted. But did you know for the people of that day, that was shocking and startling beyond belief. Why? Because in the era before, the only ones who had this anointing of the Holy Ghost were people like the prophets, the priest, the king. It was a very, very narrow, a very select group. And unless you were one of the elite, then all you could do is be a spectator from a distance and watch as other people were anointed by God to carry out their tasks. But the great thing about this new day, the day of the church, the day of the Holy Spirit, is that God said in that day He would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. No more spectators. No more passive observers. Everybody's going to be a part of the plan. And then he went on to clarify, uh, your sons and your daughters, the young people, both male and female, shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall... They shall prophesy. There's three main aspects of this that I want you to look at. The first can be summed up. All the, I'm going to have to ask you to write down three words. Word number one. Write down the word everybody. Everybody. This experience of the infill, infilling, the empowering of the Holy Spirit is for everybody. Not just a select few. Not just an elite class, but for the sons and the daughters, the young and the old, the men servants and the maid servants. God said, I will pour out my spirit. Everybody. The second word, I want you to write this down as the word influence. Is the word influence. God has influence available for us. Here, specifically, the influence that is spoken of is the, the, the outpouring and the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives and the hearts of men and women. God wants to influence us not only by His Spirit, but also by His Word. Everybody influence. And the third word I want you to write down is this word, expression. The influence of the Holy Spirit flooding into your life is not just so you can have goosebumps. It's not just so you can have tingles and feel good. It's so that there can be an expression coming from you. Notice that, that the prophet Joel said that everybody who gets influenced will have an expression. You know, it is so good to find out how much God wants to bless us. It is so good to find out our rights and our privileges in Christ Jesus. It's good to find out about the treasures and the riches that, that we have in our inheritance. 
But you know what? If we stop there, we have short-circuited because it's not just for us to be influenced. It's not just for us to be blessed, but it's for us to have an expression. It's for us to be a blessing. The Spirit's going to be poured out on everybody. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. There's going to be something coming up. Now, let me share this with you real quick. In the Old Testament, remember, the prophets of old were not omniscient. They only knew what the Lord revealed to them. There were always more pieces of the puzzle. You know, you can learn some things about Jesus reading the book of Isaiah. You can learn some things about Jesus reading the book of Psalms and Zechariah and Micah and different prophets. But see, they just got little bits and pieces looking forward. How many of you know we can learn a lot more about Jesus by reading the Gospels and the Epistles? Because those prophets of old, as wonderful as they were and as anointed as they were, they were seeing through a glass darkly. They knew in part... And if you read 1 Peter chapter 1, it talks about how they longed and yearned to understand the fullness of what they were seeing, but they didn't see it. They only found out that it was unto us, not unto them, that they were ministering. So we're the privileged group. Because we get to look at it through the eyes of the epistles, through the eyes of the gospels. When Joel said this, when he kept saying, these people will receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit and they'll prophesy, what office did Joel stand in? He was a prophet. So when Joel thought of of the Spirit's operation as a prophet, what did he naturally think of? Prophesying. Do you know that people, based on how they are wired, will interpret things in the light of their gift, in the light of their the grace that has been deposited in their life? Let me give you an example. When you're in a service and the Holy Spirit really begins to move, when a teacher senses that anointing, what does he want to do? He wants to teach. When a a preacher senses the moving of the Spirit, what does he think is supposed to happen? He's supposed to preach. When a worshiper senses the move of the Spirit, they want to worship. When an evangelist senses the, the working of the Spirit, they want to give an altar call. Because when the anointing of the Holy Spirit is in operation, it it can stir up the gifts and the abilities that are in us. But how many of you know there's a time to teach, there's a time to preach, there's a time to evangelize, there's a time to worship, there's a time to give an altar call. The Holy Spirit is not limited to one expression. But Joel, from his perspective, was thinking about that when the Holy Ghost came on people, he's a prophet, so well, they're all going to prophesy. I'm not saying that what Joel said is untrue. What Joel said is scripture, it is true. I just believe that when we step into the fullness of the New Testament, what we begin to find is, is that there are many expressions of the anointing. 
Turn over in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4, because Peter referred to this as the manifold grace of God. The multifaceted, the diversified grace of God. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we read this in verse 10. As each one, everybody say each one. Now how many does that include? What if I said, at the end of this service, you come up and see me, and I've got a hundred dollar bill for each one of you. I said, if I said that. And then if I said that, and then you came up to me and said, Brother Cook, uh, good to be here. I, I, I came for my $100 bill. And I looked at you and said, well, I didn't mean you. I meant everybody else. You can have a problem with that. You're going to think I'm kind of shady. I'm not really honest. I'm not really, because I'm, I'm part of each one. No, no, I didn't mean you. Peter said, as each one has received a gift, even so, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, what were the three words I gave you just a moment ago? Everybody. Everybody influence expression. As each one... Everybody has received a gift, influence, minister it to one another. You will see this pattern all through the scripture. Everybody, influence, expression. As each one has received a gift, minister it, that word minister means serve it, to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Look at verse 11. What's that first word? If. What does the word if mean? Does that, when you hear the word if, do you immediately think absolute certainty? No, you don't. When I hear the word if, I think of maybe, maybe not. Notice what it says. If anyone speaks. That means that some people who receive gifts from God, it's, it, it, it is going to be in the vocal area, the speaking area, but because the word if is there, it also means that it's not going to apply to everybody. See, we have made the, the worst mistake, I mean the church at large, thinking that anybody who has a call or has received some kind of anointing or some kind of gift. We've made this horrible mistake of thinking that everybody's supposed to stand behind a pulpit and preach sermons. Not at all, if anyone speaks. Meaning some are called that way, some are gifted that way, some are graced that way, but not everybody, because if anyone speaks, let him speak as of the oracles of God. In other words, if you are called to speak, if that is how you're gifted, you are not up there to give your theories. You're not up there to give your opinions. You're to speak as of the oracles of God. In other words, you're to speak and to say what God has revealed. 
And then he goes on to deal with what I believe is, is the great bulk of us. If anyone ministers. Now that word minister, again, means serves. Most people are not called to serve behind a pulpit. Most people are called to serve behind the scenes. But they're equally valuable, they're equally important. If anyone serves, let him do it with the ability that God gives. That God in all things may be glorified. Everybody influence expression. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Actually, no, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 first. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, and this is a verse I'm assuming that many of you are very familiar with. It's talking about the fact that when Jesus ascended, when he uh, had risen from the dead, he died on the cross, of course, uh, risen from the dead, and then eventually ascended into heaven, uh, he did not leave us as orphans. He did not leave us helpless. In conjunction with this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there was a diversity of influences that he released into the hearts and lives of men and women. And it says in verse 11, Ephesians 4.11, And he himself, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the entertaining of the saints. What happened there? I, I'm sorry, I was reading from the reversed standard version. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, there are people in this room that are called to those offices. There are some people in this room right now that are functioning those offices right now. Apostles are sent ones. Prophets are preachers who, who minister heavily by revelation of the Spirit. Evangelists are preachers that have a great heart for the lost. Pastors and teachers. You know, there are some of those in this room now. There are many here that are called to those offices who, who are, are going to be getting training or are getting training so that they can eventually function in those offices effectively. You don't need Bible school to do that, but I'll tell you what, you can sure do it a lot better if you have more training. The more preparation, the more training, it, preparation time is never wasted time. But those ministry gifts, those offices, are set in the body of Christ not for the entertaining of the saints, Boy, do we need to get our minds renewed in that area. They're not for the entertaining of the saints. They are for the equipping of the saints. Now what happens when you put, listen to this, what happens when you put the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and they begin to equip the saints? They start teaching and training the saints when you get all the ministry gifts and all the saints together, you know what you have? Everybody. When they start the teaching, the training, and the equipping, you know what you have? Influence. 
What does the next part of that say? He gave the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher for the equipping or perfecting, if you're reading King James, for the equipping of the saints so that they, everybody, can do the expression. See, I want you to understand this today. You don't have to be called to be a pastor. What happens is that, you know, God raises up very gifted individuals. God raises up people like Andrew, a very gifted teacher. But instead of of individuals knowing how to receive that gift, they begin to look at that gift and they think, man, I could never teach the Bible like Andrew. I could never do what he does. I mean, he's on television. He writes, but I could never do that. And so the devil then gets on your shoulder and says, see, you can't be like Andrew. So you're nothing. You're worthless. You're useless. And see, the devil would prefer that you not get blessed by his teaching. But if he can't keep you from getting blessed by his teaching... He would sure like it if he could keep you from using that teaching to begin to express that for others. You know, the devil knows he may not be able to keep you from getting blessed, but he sure does want to keep you from getting contagious. Spreading it. Being influenced in a way that you begin to express these things. Everybody, influence, expression. I want to read to you five quotes. And and anytime, you know, obviously the Bible is our authoritative standard. But when it comes to statements by other people, how many of you know we should always judge them in the light of the Word of God? I mean, listen, if I say something today that doesn't line up with the Bible, you are under no obligation to believe that. As a matter of fact, if I say something that contradicts the Bible, you'd be very smart to say, you know what, God bless Brother Tony, but I think I'll stay with the Bible. (laughs) And yet the truth is, is that God does speak through people. We read about that. God will pour out His Spirit and they'll prophesy. I want to read to you five prophecies that I found late in the year. And, And I share this because I believe this is something that beats so strongly in my heart. If I have a passion, if I have a a purpose, a focus, an assignment, it is this. It is to see the entire body of Christ rise up to its full potential. Not just to see a few preachers preach great sermons or a few teachers teach great Bible lessons. But it's to see everybody get influenced and then give expression. Here's a statement by Charles Price. He was one of the leaders of the Pentecostal revival, I think back in the 30s, 1930s. Listen to what he said. He said, laymen will be his most important channel, not the clergy or the theologians or the great gifted preachers, but men and women with ordinary jobs in the ordinary world. Mordecai Ham, the gentleman that led Billy Graham to the Lord, said this, God gave me a revelation of the last days. It is the layman that will reach the world. 
And he went on to call Laman the sleeping giant of evangelism. Now, just in case you're not sure, what what do you mean by layman? Layman just means everybody. It means the average believer. It's not referring to the great person that we put up on a pedestal. It's just talking about, you know, Joe who works down at the, the, the garage as a mechanic. It means Mary who raises kids at home. It means different people in all walks of life. It means everybody. George Washington Carver. You may think he just only found a bunch of ways to use the peanut. But he was a man that knew God. He said, there is going to be a great spiritual awakening in the world. And it is going to come from plain, simple people who know not simply believe, but actually know that God answers prayer. It is going to be a great revival of Christianity, not a revival of religion. This is going to be a revival of true Christianity. It is going to rise from the layman, from men who are going about their work and putting God into what they do, from men who believe in prayer and who want to make God real to mankind. We go back to the little girl with her crayons, drawing a picture of God, and the teacher says, but nobody knows what God looks like. And she said, they will in a minute. See, you're the ones that are going to make God real to mankind. Let me give you two more quotes. Dwight L. Moody said, If the world is going to be reached, I am convinced that it must be done by men and women of average talent. And Tommy Hicks, who led the great Argentine revival back in the 1950s or 60s, where more than 300,000 people came to Jesus, he said, God is going to take the do-nothings, the nobodies, the unheard of, He is going to take every man and every woman and He is going to give to them this outpouring of the Spirit of God. Now, we we can and should judge these. You know, do these line up with the Bible? Is there anything that this contradicts the Bible? But to me, it's amazing that five different men separated sometimes by many, many decades of each other, probably who never met each other, all had this same impression, I believe, from the Spirit of God. That it wasn't just going to be the great preachers, but it was going to be people in all walks of life who receive, and then express. And he said that was going to change the world. Now, you may be thinking, well, does this mean we can just get rid of all the preachers? No. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and teacher will always have a vital role and a vital work. They are the leaders. They are the influencers. They are the one that God uses to pour out His Word and His Spirit so that every believer can be raised up to do the work of the ministry. 
This in no way, this is not an exclusionary message where we're excluding somebody. This is an inclusionary message where we're saying that God has a plan for every believer. Why? Because He determined way back when that He would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. The sons and the daughters, the old men and the young men, the men servants and the maids. What I'm saying is, God's hand is on your life. And He wants you to receive influence so that you can give expression. So that you can make God known to mankind. Romans chapter 12. Romans the 12th chapter. Is this helping anyone? Romans chapter 12 verse 4 says, For as we have many members, many members, does that sound like everybody? We have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same gift, or I'm sorry, the same function. In the King James it says the same office. Let's work with this word function. We have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. What does that mean? We don't all have the same function. What if instead of saying that, Paul had said this, we have many members in one body, but not all the members have a function. That would change the meaning drastically, wouldn't it? Radically. Would change the meaning. Because if he said, we have many members in one body, but not all the members have a function, what does that all of a sudden say? That some people are just called by God to be spectators. Some people are just called by God to be observers. That God's going to use a few people but not everybody. So, you know, God may not have a plan for your life at all. But He didn't say that, did He? He said, we have many members in one body, but not all members have the same function. Do you know one of the worst things you can do with your life is to just never find out what God wants you to do, but just try to imitate somebody else. Because if all you do is try to imitate somebody else, you'll never be anything better than second best. God is never going to ask you the question, why weren't you more like Billy Graham? Why weren't you more like Charlie LeBlanc? Why weren't you more like Andrew Womack? God is never going to ask you that question. You want to know the question God's going to ask you, perhaps, is why didn't you become the best you could be? He's not comparing you against anybody else. He just simply wants you to be the best you that you can be based on the gifts and the abilities that He's given you. Because we have many members in one body, but not all the members have the same function. So we, verse 5, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing. Say that out loud with me. Having then gifts differing. What does that mean? That means you don't have the same set of gifts that somebody else does. 
having then gifts differing according to the grace, everybody say grace, that is given to us, let us use them. Now, can I show you something? We have many members in one body. What's that speak of? Everybody. We have gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. What does that speak of? Influence. Let us use them. Expression. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, and again that's serving, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts, and the word exhort there really refers to a persuasive calling where you implore someone to come close to God. Or exhortation, or he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The reason I'm sharing this is because so many people have excluded themselves from ministry and service because they think, well, I can't teach like this guy, or I can't sing like this person. They compare everything to what's going on in the pulpit, but the fact of the matter is, or on the platform, the fact of the matter is, 90% of the ministry that takes place doesn't necessarily take place from a platform. And we look at all those prophecies, all those statements, that it's going to be laymen, it's going to be believers. But see, that's not just going to be automatic, it's going to be as they've received the influence. As they've received the equipping, the training. That's what builds up the saints so they can do the work of the ministry. Now, when I see this list, there's a couple things I want to point out. We just have a couple minutes left. I don't think this list is comprehensive. I think this list is representative. I think Paul just gave a few for instance. Because there's other expressions through the New Testament. For example, hospitality. How many of you know that hospitality is one expression of the grace of God? And man, some people are really gifted in that. And some people aren't. But there's probably many different expressions that could be included. I think Paul just gave a representative list. But I think most of these, in one sense, for example, you cannot use this list to exclude yourself from basic Christian responsibilities. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, brother, I I need you to forgive me. I've been having some bad thoughts about you and, and, and really got an attitude about you. You can't say, sorry, I don't have the gift of mercy. You go to your church and and the pastor gets up and says, hey, it's time for the tithes and the offerings. You can't fold your arms and say, sorry, I don't have the gift of giving. That's not my gift. There are basic Christian responsibilities that simply come from being a believer. We can all honor the Lord with the first fruits, the tithes of our increase. 
We can all be kind. You know, if, if somebody says, hey, after this meeting, we're going to move the chairs. We'd like everybody to take your chair and let's go stack it against that wall. You can't say, sorry, I don't have the gift of serving. That's not my ministry. Basic Christian responsibilities. We can do a lot of these things just because we love Jesus and, and, and we're children of God. You know what I think these are? I think these are areas where people can have a, a higher level, kind of like um, basic Christian responsibility on steroids. Somebody who has a gift of giving, you know, kind of a special grace in that area, don't even talk to them about giving 10%. Because they're trying to see how they can give 20, 30, 40, 50%. And it's not because anybody's pressuring them. That's just they're responding to the grace of God in the area of generosity and giving. And they, that's their greatest thrill and joy. Mother Teresa would be an example of, um, I guess that means I'm done. She'd be an example of mercy in operation. And yet, you know, she didn't do that because somebody forced her. That was just an expression coming out of her. I believe God's called everybody. Not everybody to the pulpit, but everybody. He wants to influence everybody, and He wants everybody to find expression of the grace in them. God bless you. It's been a joy to be with you. Tony, praise the Lord. So for all of our guests here, this is just a sample of some of the guest ministers we have come in, and really God brings the best through here. They are excellent. Amen. So appreciate that. Let's take a, I think it's 20 minute break and we will be back at five minutes after.